some rhetorical questions I'm going to ask you. And we're going to be coming back to this periodically during the sermon. Do you believe there is a God? Do you believe the Bible is God-inspired and the truth? Do you live by the word of God? Ooh, that's a little bit tougher. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to start out with a scripture that I'm going to come back to at the end of the service. Uh, We have it up here on the screen, so you don't have to turn, but if you want to, please do. It's Hebrews 10, 22 through 25. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As Greg mentioned, I've been in children's ministry for at this church for 22 years. I started children's ministry when I was 12 years old. I didn't like my Sunday school class. My mother, who was the children's director, said, well, if you don't like it, teach it yourself. So I've been doing that for 47 years. And, and, you, and you're looking at me and you go, it's just not possible, right? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I have my own cheering section right here. Uh, but I have some stories I want to relay to you. And I've been reading a book called Just a Minute. It's written by a man named Wes Stafford. Wes Stafford is the founder of Compassion International. Compassion International is this incredible ministry that takes children from all over the world, orphaned, disadvantaged, impoverished children, and ministers to them by giving them food and clothing and education and a place to live and telling them about Jesus. So Wes Stafford wrote this book called Just One Minute because he had compiled over all these years, he had compiled stories about these children and about uh, famous and non-famous people, of how one moment changed a person's life. And while I was reading this book, there was one story that just pierced my heart. And I want to share that with you to illustrate it. He said he was in an orphanage in Indonesia. And they had a church service. He said there was about 100 orphans there. There were some parents and teachers there, and they were singing and performing for him. And then the pastor asked him, would you say something to the children? So he got up and he started telling the kids, he goes, you are so special. God loves you. God has a future. God has a destiny for you. But there was a little girl, a six-year-old girl, sitting on the front row. And he said her big, dark eyes were haunting him. And he reached down and he picked her up. And he started talking to her. And he said, did you know that before God created the heavens and the earth, he knew you? Did you know that you are so special to God 
that he loves you and he cares about you and he wants to be there for you. The little girl hugged him and then he set her down on the front row. And he looked out and all the adults are just boo-hooing. They're just crying. And the pastor came to him and said, you had no way of knowing this, but that little girl came to us two months ago. We rescued her. Her mother had sold her to a man who raped her. And we rescued that little girl. And since coming here, she hasn't smiled. She hasn't spoken. I'm surprised that she would allow a man to pick her up. Wes said in that moment, he knew that God had put him in that little girl's life. That she would change. That she would be healed. You see, God gives us moments. Have you thought of anybody? Right now, just kind of think. Is there anybody or any situation that has changed your life in just one moment? Has someone spoken into your life, whether good or bad? Is there one moment that's pivotal in your life? You know, I believe that if God puts a child in your path, it is a divine appointment. It's a divine appointment. Years ago, where's Miss Alice? I just saw her. There you are. You're part of my sermon today. Okay. (laughs) Years ago, um, Miss Alice and I taught at Granbury Elementary School. And I was a long-term music teacher for about six months. (laughs) No, let let me rephrase that. I was a substitute long-term music teacher for six months. That makes a big difference. Um, And there was this little boy in third grade that really tugged at my heartstrings. His name was Isaac. Isaac was new to the school. He was Hispanic. He could not speak English. He was the youngest of nine children. They were very poor. Isaac came to school, of course, midterm, you you know, you don't make friends very easily midterm, and when you don't speak English, you don't either. He had very dirty clothes. He had shoes that were threadbare. And yet there was something about that child that tugged at our heart. And one day, Miss Alice and I were talking about him, and we prayed for him. And we decided to pool some money together, And Alice took Isaac shopping. He had never been to Walmart. He was overwhelmed. He came back to school. His self-esteem had risen a little bit. Fast forward about eight or ten years. I was in worship one Sunday. And I was, I don't know if you ever have this. Do you ever have pity parties? Where you feel sorry for yourself, where you feel worthless. Well, it was one of those, it was my turn. And I was having this pity party one Sunday morning, and I was crying out to God during worship. Go, God, why am I in children's ministry? This is just, I can't handle it anymore. I'm not doing any good. These kids are just, you know. And God spoke to my heart, and he said, 
look over to the left. I looked over to the left, and there was a teenage Isaac there. And he was worshiping God. And God spoke to my heart. He said, you planted a seed of hope and love in that little boy's life. Fast forward to about two or three years ago. There was a funeral here at this church. Isaac was here. Isaac went on to go in the military. He got married, had four children. I went up to him afterward. I didn't think he'd remember me. He did. And I said, Isaac, I just want to say, I'm so proud of the man you've become. And there was something in your heart that really tugged at my heart when you were a little third grader. And he looked at me and said, I have no idea what that was, but thank you. Thank you for investing in me. See, that one little moment can change the life. I have a picture here. Uh, Doris, the 10-year-old in this picture, is my mother. She grew up during the Depression in western Kansas. That was the Dust Bowl days when the locusts came in, grasshoppers, she was hungry all the time. Her family had no money. They owned no property. They lived from meal to meal. When Doris was seven years old, she told us this story. First of all, let me back up. My grandparents, wonderful people, but they were not people to go to church. My grandfather was very bitter because someone who claimed to be a Christian cheated him. And he said, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want anything to do with that. I will never go to church. So here's seven-year-old Doris, and the neighbor lady comes over, and she asks my grandmother, will you let me take Doris to church? My grandmother's response was, as long as Doris behaves, she can go. Well, my mom went to church every Sunday after that. That neighbor lady came and picked her up and took her to church. She was seven years old. She was baptized. She didn't understand baptism, but there was something that kept her coming week after week after week. When she was 16, she had an encounter with the Lord. She had gone forward, and she gave her life to the Lord. And she told God, I will serve you all my life. I will be a missionary or a pastor, whatever you want. I will serve you. She went home and she told her parents that. They did not take that very well. Matter of fact, they said, if you decide to be a teacher, we'll pay for it. But if you're growing in the ministry, don't expect one dime from us. My mom said, well, God told me, so God will supply. And she worked full time for four years, going to school full time and became a pastor. She pastored a church in northern Minnesota where she met another young pastor. They got married. And here I am. (laughs) Yay. My parents instilled God in our lives, brought us to the place where we would worship and make that decision to follow the Lord. We have raised our children to follow the Lord. And hopefully our grandchildren will continue that legacy of, of, of 
a life following Jesus. But do you know who the real hero of this story is? The lady that invited my mother to go to Sunday school. You see, you don't know what impact you might have on somebody. But you will have an impact whether you believe it or not. Whether for good or for bad. Now, like I said, I've been in children's ministry all these years. And I happen to believe that the best, most favorite ministry of Jesus is children's ministry. Now, I may be biased. I realize that. But let me just point something out. Not once did Jesus invite a disciple to come sit on his lap. You know the story. You know the story. There were these kids running around. I bet they were just like our own kids. Noisy, hyper, obnoxious, snotty nose, you know, wet diapers, whatever. They were running around. The disciples were getting pretty irritated with them. And so they got mad. They told the moms, take your kids home. And Jesus rebuked the disciples. And he said, let the children come to me because the kingdom of heaven is made up of such as these. Jesus also said, if you harm a child, it would be better that a millstone be hung around your neck and you be cast into the sea. Why would Jesus say that? You see, because when Jesus looks at a child, he doesn't see him as a child. He sees them as a spirit that has a destiny. He sees them as their adult possibility. And he sees that they have a future and a hope. He has called from the foundations of the world. He has called people to follow him. And we all start out as children. If we do not, here's, here's a scary statistic. Children, let me back up. People generally come to know the Lord between the ages of 6 and 14. 75 to 80% of people come to know the Lord. After the age of 14, it's very hard. If a child is damaged, what does that do to their future? Jesus sees the future of the children. And I want to go back to that that one slide. God's will is what we would choose if we knew what God wants. When God looks at our children or ourselves, he has a will. But let me tell you, Satan also does have a will. Satan's job is that he will lie, kill, steal, and destroy. He does not want our children or ourselves, our adult selves, to follow the Lord. So he will do whatever he can to cause chaos, damage, dysfunction in the lives of our children and in our family. I cannot emphasize enough, God created families. You know, we have approximately 60 children in kids' church. That's first through fifth grade. We have 
approximately 60 what I would call regular children. So this last week, I went upstairs, and I did a little survey. I made these piles. They have these badges that they have to wear upstairs. So I made a pile of how many children are in two-parent households that are fairly solid. And how many children in our children's ministry have gone through divorce or are in single-parent households? Out of 60 children, do you know how many have experienced the trauma of divorce? 44. 16 children are in what I think is a positive family situation. But 44 kids have been traumatized. And don't let anybody lie to you. It is a trauma. You see, Satan gets in there and tries to wreak havoc with families because he knows if he can destroy the family, he can destroy people. I'm going to share a little video. Dear Mom and Dad, I know that you are hurting. I'm hurting too. I feel and feed off your tension, fear, and shock. Although I am young and cannot express verbally what is happening in our lives, I'm still feeling the impact. My heart is broken every time I have to give up a parent. My sense of security is lost. Please don't assume that I am resilient. Please don't assume that my life will be exactly as it was and that I will continue to feel the same love from both of you. I am a human being just like you. My needs are just like yours. I need love, attention, nurturing, stability, consistency, affection, understanding, patience, and mostly to be wanted. When you fight over me or put me in the middle of your argument, you are sending me the message that winning with each other is more important than my life. I am learning from you that it is better to be right than to be loved. You are teaching me that I came from a person who is unlovable and wrong, and that I am somehow wrong too. When you confide your hurt in my heart, you are storing up adult pain and robbing me of my childhood. You are taking away my belief that love is unconditional and replacing it with a message that tells me to become hard and not to love because I will get hurt and not be able to recover. You may not understand this today, and I am so small that you are not thinking about my future, but you are putting me at a greater risk of getting a divorce myself. At times, you are risking my safety to fill a void in your heart. My safety is your job. Without you and your protection, I am unshielded from the world. This will manifest in irrational fears for me, because I will stay in a state of fight or flight for most of my life. Someday, this initial shock will wear off how you choose to parent me through this crisis will never wear off. I will either feel your sense of selflessness, support, protection, or I'll have a scar on my heart with a message that reads, good things happen to good people. I must be bad. Thoughtfully, the child of divorce. Wow, that kind of gets you in the feelers, doesn't it? You see, the enemy will come and do whatever he can to destroy families. 
I understand sometimes divorce is inevitable. I understand sometimes you're married to someone who just refuses to be married anymore and you have no control. I realize that sometimes your spouse is abusive and you've got to get out of those situations. I understand that. My heart goes out to you if that's where you're at. There's no condemnation here. But what I want you to understand is that those children need hope. One of the things that really concerns me is that even in the body of Christ, there is a pervasiveness of adultery. Even in the body of Christ, there's infidelity in marriages. That will destroy a marriage. That will destroy a family. Awkward moment. I'm going to talk to you about something that's very awkward. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. It's called adultery, period. Marriage is a covenant, a promise between you and your spouse and God. And God takes that very seriously. Why does he take it seriously? Because there are people that are involved that will be wounded and he wants the family intact. If you are having sex with somebody that you are not married to and you are committing adultery, it's a sin. If you are shacking up with someone and you have not married them, you are committing a sin. Get married, all right? If you're supposed to be with that person, get married. If you're not supposed to be with that person, get out. But live a pure life. I can't emphasize that enough. Now, having said that, God's grace is there for forgiveness. If you've fallen, God wants to restore. That he's in the business of that. He wants families to be healthy. He wants marriages to be healthy. He will restore But the first part is coming clean. Coming clean before the Lord. You see, the enemy comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. And he'll use our lusts, our weaknesses to trap us. Come clean. Okay, awkward moment over. God's will is what we would choose if we knew what God knows. God sees the big picture. He, God sees what your future and your destiny is. And don't allow the enemy to derail that. So my question. Do you believe there is a God? 
Do you believe the Bible is God's inspired and the truth? Do you live by the word of God? I have three children, uh, Jennifer, Andy, and Ryan. Probably, if you were familiar with any of them, you'd be familiar with Andy. He was youth pastor here for a while. When I found out I was pregnant with Andy, we were living in central Texas. I was at the Temple Mall coming down the escalator, and there were news screens all over the place. And on the screens, they were showing live feed of the assassination of Anwar Sadat, the leader of Egypt. And I saw that, and it it just scared me. And I started to cry, and I said, God, what kind of world am I bringing this baby into? And the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, This child has been called by me to go to the nations and worship. Fast forward 10 years. We were a small church just starting out, and we had this night of presbytery, which is when prophetic people would come, lay hands and pray and prophesy over you. We had some, you know, pretty big hitters. We had Robert Morris, who is the pastor of Gateway. Uh, and then we had this lady named Mary Ann Brown. Now, some of you know who Mary Ann Brown is. She's a scary, well, she's with the Lord now, but she, she's a scary lady. She is bold and was bold and brash, and she could read your mail. So Andy is sitting on the front row, just being a goofball, you know, just acting up. And she comes, and she gets this far from his face. Now, Marianne Brown would prophesy in poetry, in rhyme. I, I can't even do that. doesn't even compute. And she would be loud and yell, and she would spit. (laughs) So here's 10-year-old Andy sitting on the front row, and she gets this far from his little face and says, when other kids get by with stealing the cookies, you will always get your hand caught in the cookie jar. And the reason is because God is training you for your destiny. You know, Andy said that changed the course of his life. It gave him purpose, gave him vision. When he was 15 years old, he went on his first mission trip to Venezuela for a month. And while he was there, he called us and he goes, Mom, I know that I know that I know that my God is real. So we were praying for this little girl, this six-year-old girl with cerebral palsy. She had never walked. We prayed and she walked. The following year, he went for a month to Kenya on a mission trip. I mean, it was like his heart was captured for missions. He later went on to Teen Mania Honor Academy where they trained them in Bible and in missions. He came on staff there. Then he came on staff here at this church as youth pastor. He went on another mission trip to Mexico where he met Jesse, who also had that passion for missions. They got married. 
This last Thursday, they moved to Berlin, Germany. They have a five-year commitment to serve the Lord in Europe. You know, that's not the total vision, I believe, because three weeks ago, my daughter-in-law called and said, guess what? I'm pregnant. She goes, we didn't plan on it. We're trying to move. We're packing things up, but yay, we're pregnant. Two weeks ago from today, we got a phone call at 8 o'clock in the morning. Andy said, Mom, Jesse lost the baby. The night before, we knew she had called and, or they had texted and said, Jesse's in the hospital. We think she's miscarrying. Jesse told us later, she said, at 5 o'clock in the morning, I felt my baby's spirit leave my body. And she said, the presence of Jesus was in the room. And the Lord spoke to us and said, this baby was not meant for this world. He's mine. His name's Samuel. Well, the doctor at the ER the night before had said, if you start running a fever, go to the emergency room. So on Tuesday, she woke up with a very high fever. She went to the ER in Denver, and they did an ultrasound on her. And... uh, The nurse said, well, you're still pregnant. And they're going, what? Jesse said, I know I miscarried. And then the technician said, yes, you did. I see a spot on your uterus. But you were carrying twins. You still have a child in your womb. And the heartbeat is 168 beats per minute, a strong heartbeat. What this told my spirit is there is a purpose and a destiny for that little baby. And they have a job to make sure that child fulfills that purpose and that destiny. The writer of Hebrews was not talking to unbelievers. He was talking to Christians. So bear that in mind as we read this. He's exhorting the church and he says... Draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. First, he's telling the believers to come clean. Come clean. Go after God with a sincere heart, not a fake heart, not a pretend heart. Go with to God with everything you have. Have you sinned? Get right with God. It's that simple. Lay down your pride. Lay down your fear. Lay down your lust. Whatever it is, get right with God. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Have you given your life to the Lord? Then hold fast to that. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't let discouragement come against you. Hold fast. 
Don't allow the enemy's lies to come and rob, steal, kill, and destroy you. Fight for your promise. Fight for your family. Fight for your children. Fight for your marriage. And I don't mean fight. I mean intercede and pray and do spiritual battle for your family. Fight because he promised and he's faithful. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Look, I have these pity parties a lot. There are times I get so discouraged I just want to throw in the towel. Ever get that way? Yeah. Well, don't allow that to happen. Don't, don't throw up your hands and say, what's the use? I'm going to quit. We are called to encourage each other. We are called to motivate and challenge each other to love. We are called to, to stimulate each other, to make sure that people know they are loved and cared for and will start living godly lives. You are called to speak into my life. If you see something that I am doing that's wrong, your responsibility is to come to me and say, I think this is wrong. This is what God is showing me. Guess what? It's my responsibility to come to you, to motivate you, to encourage you, to fight the fight, and to do what's right. We need each other. Verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You've seen those nature films where there's a herd of water buffaloes grazing, and in the tall grass there's a lion crouching ready to go after. The lion is not going to go after the herd. The lion is looking for the one that has separated themselves. The one that is not paying attention. The lion's going to go after the weak, the ones that are sickly, or the ones that are new, the babies. There is a problem in the church. If you separate yourselves from the fellowship of the church, you are going to be vulnerable to the enemy's attack. Again, I need you, you need me. God is calling us to be together, to speak into each other's lives. We need each other. We need to be grouped together and minister to each other. If you have pulled away because of an offense, you are vulnerable to the enemy's attack. I'm telling you today, coming to church on Sunday or Wednesday night is not really connecting with each other. Connecting is when you break bread together, when you go and you pray with someone, when you go and you do something, something fellowship where you get to know each other so that you can speak into each other's lives. God is calling the body of Christ to come together. All the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The return of Christ. I don't know if you've figured this out yet, but I've looked at all the presidential candidates, and there is not one who can save this country. 
There is not one politician who can rescue America. We are going, we, we've already, but we're gonna, it's going to get worse. I've read the back of the book. It's not going to get better. The world is in this big snowball avalanche of sin, propagating sin. You know, the writer, Paul and Timothy, he said that in the last days, perilous times will come. And he goes on to talk about how men will call good bad and bad good. We live in perverted times. It's not, I don't mean to be a downer, but it's not going to get better. But the one we can count on is Jesus Christ. No matter what happens in our government or any other world government, Jesus Christ is the one we count on. And that's why it is so important as we go through tough times, it's so important to be connected to each other, to spur each other on. I'm going to go on and read verse 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which consume the adversaries. You've been told the truth. Do you believe there is a God? Do you believe God's word is inspired by God and that his word is true? Are you living God's word? Kind of boils down to that. The Lord is looking for people who will have holy lives. He's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. He's calling for people to get right with him. You have been warned. God is looking for people who will go after him and will live godly lives. Now in a moment, we're going to close up the service. I realize that in this group, there are people who are really at the end of their rope. There are people who are hurting. There are people that are so discouraged they want to give up. We don't want you to leave today in that condition. We want to minister to one another. That's what God called us to do. Right before the service today, uh, Greg and Lori Zeger uh, came up to me. And Lori had a vision this Friday that I think is very appropriate for this, the end of this sermon. And so I'm going to ask Lori to come up and just share that vision. Friday, I was driving to lunch, and I was just minding my own business, driving, listening to the radio, and watching a little bit of the rain. And all of a sudden, I saw a picture of myself with quarter-size holes all throughout the front of my body. And immediately when I saw that picture, a question mark came into my head. And I heard the Lord say, each one of those represent something that the enemy has done from childhood on to damage you, to hurt you, wounds. 
And immediately after that, I saw the Lord heal the wounds. He didn't patch them. He didn't band-aid them. But you know when you get a scab on a, a you know, something scabs, your um, skin scabs, and then the scab comes off, and it's kind of wrinkly, and it's stronger than what it is before. And so the Lord showed me that each one of the wounds that he's healed in me are stronger And they had a name of rejection from childhood. You know, you're playing on the playground and a group of girls don't want you around. You know, you feel rejected. You know, and that rejection, the wound's there and it carries you so that as you're an adult in life, if you interpret something of somebody coming by and snubbing you, that rejection comes right back, that same hurt, that same pain. But God is closing that up. As you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. The Holy Spirit heals. And the more you draw closer to the Holy Spirit, he heals that. I've had trauma through my sister's death 40 years ago. And I've carried guilt for 40 years that I lived and she didn't. And that wound is continually being closed where I can live without guilt i can live without rejection god has healed me and that's what i wanted to share thank you thank you so this morning in closing out the service i just want to encourage you if there is something that you are battling against something that that the enemy is using to jerk you around If you are struggling with your marriage or with your family or your children or grandchildren or whatever it is, I'm going to invite you to just come to the front, to the altar, just kneel down and start praying. And then I'm going to ask the body of Christ to take the moment God gives you to speak into lives and come pray And surround those people. Because we cannot do this alone. Heavenly Father. I thank you that you've destined every person in this room. That you have called them. And chosen them. And Lord we acknowledge. That sometimes we mess up. And sometimes the enemy has come in. To rob, steal, kill, and destroy. But Father, I pray that today there will be healing. That today will be the moment that is pivotal in people's lives. That the holes and the wounds will be closed. And I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want you to just, as you feel led, just come on up. Just get get with the Lord. And then the body of Christ to come surround.
if you need ministry for anything at all, we welcome you to just stay here. If you need to go now, that's wonderful. Thank you for coming. We pray that as you leave, you will take those moments and speak into people's lives. God bless you. Amen.